Hi, everyone, and welcome to Training for Life Redeemed. I'm your host, Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my father, David Jackson. Today, we are beginning our actual diving into the chapter-by-chapter aspect of looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We've already done a bit of an introduction to Matthew through some of Dad's uh, talks that he gave at his church, which is MBM in Rudy Hill in New South Wales, Australia. And Dad, today we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 1, and I think most people are going to want to know, why does Matthew start off so boringly going through a genealogy? Is this actually the way to start a book? (laughs) And if so, why? Oh, I think it's beautiful. Um, Certainly sort out who can read the Bible for public Bible readings when you've got all these names. Uh, It's it's just that first word. This is the record of the beginning or genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Um, and that that's almost the same wording that you have right at the beginning of Genesis. It's the same word. So we had the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And now we've got the beginning of Jesus because he is this offspring of the woman, offspring of Abraham, David, of this whole line uh, of God's promises that is going to come and save us from what blew apart in Genesis 3. So we've got that lined up. But the question for uh, Matthew's writing for Jewish people, he's writing, I think, probably within a decade of Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, and the question on any on the mind of any first century Jew would be, how do you know this is the right one? because there'd been plenty of other guys pop up and claim to be messiahs and saviours and everybody just got dead as a result. (laughs) Now, as we look through the genealogy, Dad, one thing that strikes me as I look at this is that your inheritance is passed on through the men normally, right, as it goes down. And so if Jesus is meant to be the son of David and the son of Abraham and we're tracing this genealogy, Yet we also say he's the son of God. How does that work in that how can he be the son of David and Abraham and also the son of God? How how does that actually work for us? Yeah, son of God is another title for whoever rules. So Adam was son of God. Um, David's offspring are sons of God. Israel is my son. So this is a title that properly belonged to any human being who was in a right relationship with God. So Adam had dominion over the earth um, and he was the first man, so he is son of God. Uh, You come along to Jesus and in Jesus uh, you have a new man, a new humanity, and if you're in Jesus you're part of that new humanity and you're back being a son of God rather than a son of the usurper Satan. Okay, but is, is Jesus like a particular, I don't know how to say this, but he's not the same as Adam in terms of being a son of God? Yes. Or is he? Yeah, he is. He is. So son of God is not a title for God. Yeah. In that sense. I mean, he is God, but like, you know, he became Jesus when he was born. That's when he got the name. He inherits David's, he's... Uh, in Mary's womb, he is the heir of David's, uh, uh, yeah, the heir of David's throne. Isn't that through Joseph? 
through Joseph, you know, who adopted married yeah. Mary and therefore all yeah. that legal stuff is happening. That's a point in history. But when we talk, <laughs> it's a bit confusing. We would say, you know, or Luke's, uh, Jude says, Jesus led the people out of Egypt. Um, you know, Paul, yeah. So we can talk about what Jesus was doing before he became a man, but he didn't get the name Jesus till he was. Uh, that, that sounds very confusing. It's just the way we talk. But, yeah. But, you know, he is, the, he is God, second person of the Trinity. Yeah. And he became son of God at his, when he became a man and inherited that title. Okay. Yeah. And then he passes that title on to his people. All right. Cool. All right. That's not too bad for me. I can do that. So Jesus, <laughs> son of God, is a title that humans get who are in a right relationship with God, and obviously he's a new human, doesn't inherit the sin of his uh, father because he, his father is uh, uh, the father. <laughs> he's not his biological father. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, yeah, so he doesn't inherit the sin, but he has. He, so he gets the name, he's in the right relationship. So he is yeah. the son of God in that sense. He is also Jesus, and it's just the name we use or a title we use to refer to him. Now, as we look at the genealogy as well, there seem to be a few female names that come up as, you know, uh, this one was the daughter of this one and then it just keeps going or or it says a married, uh, yeah. this guy married this woman. Sorry, I've given too much credit there <laughs> <laughs> to how things are written. But why are those women mentioned throughout this genealogy? Like, Is, is there a significance to them or is it just because... They are mentioned maybe in the Old Testament. I, th- there's a huge significance to them, and I think this this comes as a bit of a a warning to men in the way that we read the Old Testament or the way we read the Bible. So, until probably 30, 20, 30 years ago, you would hear preachers talk about these women as the bad girls, uh, and they'd they'd, ha- they'd go on about the fact that Rahab was a prostitute, that, um, you know, um, sorry. What did they say about Ruth? <laughs> well, she's a Moabite, so we'd have to find yeah. something wrong with her. She's a Moabite. <laughs> you'd have to find, you know, uh, Tamar seduced her father-in-law. You'd, you'd focus on what these girls did um, that made them bad girls, and then you'd, you'd create a sermon that said, isn't it wonderful that God forgives bad people? Um, but if you actually... If you read the text of what these women did, they redeemed the line of promise. So the men screwed it up big time, mm. and these are the women who stepped in and saved that line of promise. So, you, I mean, you look at um, who would we'll start with Rahab. You've got a, a Canaanite girl, and had she not repented, and put her faith in Yahweh coming out of Jericho, we wouldn't have King David. So she becomes, you know, his one of his ancestors. Um, you go down a couple of generations, and Ruth, by transferring her loyalty to Yahweh, comes into the picture, and her husband's family line would have just ceased to exist. But she steps in, commits to Yahweh, 
and as a result, the Redeemer kinsman marries her. If you go back to Judah and Tamar, Judah had three sons. He wasn't about to produce an heir through any of them. And along comes Tamar and rescues the whole family line. So one after the other. And if you come down to Bathsheba, she's amazing. First she's raped, then she marries the king, and then she intervenes to make sure that Solomon gets the throne and not somebody else. So without these women, at each of these points, the family line would have dropped out. So these are the women who are the means of redeeming the redeemer. Hmm. Uh, and that that just gives you this idea of redemption all the way through what's going on. Yeah. And I imagine if you were looking to preach a sermon on anyone's name in there that was a bad person, I'm sure there's plenty of worse ones. <laughs> <laughs> Manasseh. <laughs> <laughs> The men aren't a, aren't a real good list of good guys, are they? <laughs> no, no, I don't look at them and go, oh, wow, yeah, Manasseh, what a great bloke. <laughs> and yet without him and without his repentance, nobody gets saved. Hmm. It's just, it's an amazing grace upon grace upon grace. Okay, and now from the genealogy, we then move off into the story of the promise of Jesus, when the angels come, they talk to Mary and they tell her what's happening. They appear in a dream to Joseph. This is a slightly shorter version of the story than you get in Luke, for example. Yeah. Uh, so uh, why has Matthew focused in on this part of the story? Matthew's burden is to help a Jewish person who is, I mean, the Jews of his day have been listening to the Scriptures being read week in, week out, they've, they've got it. They Every Sabbath they'd read through the law, the histories, the wisdom, the prophets. They know their Bible. And so we're waiting for the Messiah. We've got a jolly, we've memorised the genealogies so we know where he's coming from. Everybody knows he's going to be born in Bethlehem because <laughs> that's David's um, inherited property uh, and, you know, there's your prophecy in Micah that says that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we're all sort of, if you were an alert and you were waiting for the Messiah, you're sort of checking your, cal- your newspaper every day to see who was born in Bethlehem. Um, so all that stuff in Luke is written for Romans who don't know any of that stuff. Here, the focus is how many babies are born in But How do you know this is the one? And so we've gone down the line till we get to this fellow, Joseph. Joseph, if the Romans weren't around, would have been king of Judea. He, he has the birthright to that title. So how do you get from him to Jesus without Jesus inheriting sin? Hmm. So you've got to explain to Jewish people Mary's role in that and that this conception I mean, I love this. Don't you love the sequence? Now, God makes a man, and out of the rib of the man, he makes a woman, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then God gets all excited about that and says, you know, it's all very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I like that line. And then you come over here, and the, the woman was the first to get to, to sin. And then the man sins, and then the whole of humanity has gone. So God comes along to the woman and says, you're going to produce the saviour. And out of the woman, he creates a new man 
and that new man is Jesus. But to get Jesus to be the rightful heir of David's throne, Joseph has got to acknowledge him as his adopted son. Hmm. So, you know, God adopts us, Joseph adopted. The patterns are all in there. That's cool. I like that adopted pattern coming through. It's yeah. Ultimately, what happens for us, and it's great to see you know, that a man's done that for Jesus to put he, to give him his yeah you know, his rights to the, being yeah. the Messiah, but also. Yeah. It, I think it's interesting too how insignificant Joseph is. Otherwise, <laughs> I mean he he comes along out of nowhere. He finds out that his wife, because he's actually signed the contracts and everything. <laughs> is pregnant, and it wasn't him, so he's in panic mode. But being a nice bloke and he, he cares for the woman, he doesn't want to publicly humiliate her, and somebody's got to drop in a messenger from God and say, don't worry about it, mate, God did this. She hasn't been unfaithful. And he simply says, okay, Mary, move in. Uh, and publicly he looks at the whole public and the world is saying, oh, you got her pregnant before you were supposed to. <laughs> and he just doesn't care about that. He takes the woman in and they have the baby and they do what God says. Um, and he virtually disappears after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's done his bit. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all that is important for. Well, that, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you would like to grab the study notes that go along with this episode, please head over to trainingforliferedeem.com slash 59. You can grab the study notes there. Please also, if you enjoyed this, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and see what you're thinking of the podcast and make sure that you subscribe and come back to join us for our next episode when we'll be looking at Matthew chapter two.